Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Great to be with the Dogwood Church family. I'm going to ask you to uh, turn your imagination on. Uh, don't go on autopilot. Oh, gosh, the, you know, I know I'm a great cure for insomnia, but don't go to sleep this morning. Um, we, we, I, I want you to go on an imaginary trip with me uh, for a second. You ready? You ready? Okay, here we go. So, go with me to a country just hit by a devastating earthquake where 45,000 people are injured or dead. You there? You there? Two medical teams have been deployed, airlifted, uh, to the heart of the disaster area. And uh, the first physician on the first crew steps out of the helicopter as, just as it touches down and is immediately overwhelmed, immediately overwhelmed with all the carnage he sees. They are barely ten paces away. Rescue workers are pulling a living but mangled human body from the rubble. And uh, moved by compassion, he, he quickly moves over to assess the situation and he calculates uh, the personnel, the equipment, the expertise, the resources needed to care for uh, this individual. And he deploys, he assigns one half of his medical team to that one patient. Well, sensing some availability of help, uh, rescue workers quickly bring over another injured uh, person who is in even worse condition than the first. And uh, the doctor assigns, quickly assesses, and assigns the other half, the remaining half of his medical team and their resources to this person. Now he's faced with a dilemma worse than when his helicopter first touched down because he greatly desires to help the 44,998 other people who need help in uh, the area. And, uh, but he's expended all of the resources on the first two people who've been presented to him. And so he determines, he kicks, as one of my old mentors used to say, he kicks into by God mode. You know, you've been there, you know, and so he says, well, I, I decide we're going to solve this. We're going to make ourselves even more available, even more available. And he resolves that he and his staff will push themselves uh, to the limit even harder. They'll be on call 20 hours a day, seven days a week to treat as many individuals as they possibly can treat them out of love and compassion. Now, unfortunately, just a few weeks later into his well-intentioned plan, this medic is forced to come home. He's forced to go home uh, because his body has not kept pace with his right, right desired uh, motivation to help. Uh, 
uh, in his, because his resistance was lower, he's contracted one of the diseases that's rampant in uh, the disaster area. And so the care that he and his team have provided must come to a standstill until a replacement can arrive. Meanwhile, the second medical team, what are they doing? Well, the prelim- the, their preliminary assessment is likewise uh, shocking, and it takes only a matter of seconds uh, to, to realize that they are, they are also deeply shocked by what they're seeing. They're, they're moved with compassion toward the massive uh, death and pain evident in every direction, just steps away from them. They see widespread malnutrition, open wounds, other horrible conditions. People are suffering and dying before their eyes. Well, the physician leading the second team quickly concludes that her small group by itself is inadequate. And so instead of scooping up the first person inside and immediately beginning treatment, this doctor opts for another plan. Here's what she does. She tries to calculate a strategy that will optimize their resources and that will touch a maximum number of people in the least amount of time using the scarce resources available. And so she announces to her team something like this. She says, let's train, let's find as many survivors as we can and assess them very, very quickly, and let's train them to be volunteer life support uh, people, life support officers. One group we will assign to providing safe drinking water. The other group uh, will deal with shelter issues. Another group will deal with food and nutrition, meals uh, coming to the area. Yet another group will work on waste control and begin to mobilize teams to help repair the broken uh, sewer system in the city to enable them to get the waste off the human waste off the streets before it seeps into the water supply and is spread throughout all of the homes in the area. And so this, this relief and preventative care multiplied throughout the disaster area will slow down the growth of infection and allow medical intervention to have an even greater impact than we have so far. And so having mapped out this kind of program uh, to provide the essentials of survival and reduce infectious uh, agents in the the area, uh, this doctor next addresses issues of proper nutrition and other preventable forms of, of need. Now, in the meanwhile, her team, her medical team, is doing what she first said. They're finding the survivors. They're training uh, healthier survivors to serve as these health officers, and their focus is on healing and interventionary care, starting with people who have the greatest chance of recovery because when they recover, they can become health officers as well. Now, everyone in the disaster area is well aware that a very practical reason exists for the priority of focusing on people who are getting getting well because uh, proportionately that'll take care of needs in the best uh, way. Now, here's here's my question for you. Let's come back. Which team would you choose? Now, let me ask it another way. Which of these medical teams was more caring? 
Which one, of, which one of these medical teams is more loving? Which one of these medical teams is more uh, compassionate? Uh, which one? Yeah, neither. Neither or more, right? Both were moved with compassion. Both were love-filled. Both were pure-hearted and desiring to do the greatest good that they possibly uh, could do. The only difference between the two teams is their answer to the question... How? How do we go about showing our concern for people suffering in this disaster? Now, let me bring you back to the Dogwood Church family this morning in our, our church and then outside in our, in our community. When you take a look with me around Fayette, Coweta, and South Fulton County, it looks like a spiritual, emotional, relational, and marital earthquake has devastated our area. I mean, we live in the Magic Kingdom. It's a pretty nice place to live in this area. But still, uh, we have kids in crisis. Um, You know, again, here, even in the Magic Kingdom, the crime rate is rising uh, somewhat. We have an uh, avalanche of loneliness. We have earthquakes of addictions. We have failing marriages. We have an epidemic of depression in our area. With There's spiritual darkness. There's anger and rage being expressed uh, in ways that should not be. We even, we even have political conflict. <gasps> Shocker. Shocker there. And, uh, and, so, and we have under-resourced people who don't have enough food, don't have enough clothing, don't have enough jobs uh, to make ends meet. So there's a lot of hopelessness in our area. And there are over 3,700 people who, if you ask them on the street, uh, what ch- do you have a church home? They'd say, yes, Dogwood is my church home. Now, that's the size of the town I grew up in. And so uh, with us... Uh, on any given day, there are scores and scores of us who are facing great, great challenges, relationally, maritally, physically. I mean, there's all kind of, spiritually, there's all kind of stuff going on. A lot of people have a lot of need. We can step three steps in any direction and smother in human need in our community and in our church family. So the question is to, to us, how should we best respond to the earthquake of human need that surrounds us. I mean, how do, what do we do? What do we practically uh, do? Well, today, I, for, for you old-timers, though you, those of you who've been in the Dogwood Church family for any length of time, I want to remind you of our answer to that question. And for you newcomers, I want to describe to you for the first time what our, our philosophy of do, uh, uh, and our processes are. What our, I want to remind you of, of what our biblical purpose-driven operating system is as a church. How do we go about doing this? And we've been pursuing this for now for over 31 years because we started the way that I'm describing to you. And now we, we're, we're continuing. It has grown. We have tinkered with it. We've innovated. We, it's morphed. It's, it's uh, become more complex and more sophisticated as our church has become larger and larger and the needs outside of our church in our community have become more complex and more frequent. Uh, but it's still the same basic theology and practice that we started with over 31 years ago. So here you go. Our, our plan is best illustrated by the second medical team. The second medical team. We believe that, that this approach, 
paves the way for the most effect, not the only way, but the most effective way, uh, de- uh, delivery uh, to deliver uh, highly individualized, personalized, highly effective care, spiritual growth, fellowship, grace uh, that human beings need, spiritual growth, life care, great friendships for the most people uh, with the maximum use of the resources that we have on hand. Now, this is the way that the Lord Jesus modeled for us and the way he taught for us and the way he revealed in all of Scripture that his church should operate to get these very, very important things done. For example, in the book of Acts chapter 2, Uh, verses 44 and 45, we find these words. They're going to be on the screen there. It's describing the very first church, uh, the church at Jerusalem and how they functioned to get this done. Here's what it says. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had needs. So the Bible teaches here that uh, what God has intended for his people to do in their churches around the world, across all cultures, now for over 2,000 years, and that's this. The believers practiced what could be termed as mutual self-care. Mutual self-care. They were mobilized to do that. Now, in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we find these words, these instructions, inspired by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul as he wrote some of these instructions to the Christians in the church in the city of Ephesus. And uh, they made it all the way into Scripture and they instruct us today. He's describing this plan. He, God, gave pastors to prepare God's people for works of service. Uh, He says pastors and church staff members are gifts from God to local congregations and have as their primary task the preparation of God's people to do the works of service or to do mutual self-care or to do the work of uh, the ministry. And so here's the big point. We believe that we can meet the spiritual needs, the physical needs, the relational needs, and the emotional needs of people inside our church family and outside in our direct uh, community by engaging and developing life group leaders to lead group members to help each other grow in spirit and take care of one another. We engage and develop life group leaders to lead group members to help each other grow in spirit and take care of one another. So why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, because unfortunately, uh, like the first doctor in the example, many of us default to a plan. We fail to recognize what can happen when human need is at such a level as we have in our church and in our community. And um, the need is too big for any one pastor. It's too big for any church staff. It's certainly too big for the church staff we have. We have pastors and staff members, uh, but it's too big for us. And it always has been. I mean, the day, from the day we started the church and I was the only staff member, it was already too big for me to take care of what God says needs to be done and wants done and expects to be done uh, in and through the lives of his people. You know, we pastors and ministers could work 
12 hours a day, 15 hours a day, 18 hours a day. And sometimes those days come. Sometimes those days come. Um, but but if, it, if that is the plan... If that is the pattern, is that if that is the if that is the, the 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 ministry system that a pastor and congregation has, um, every minister will just eventually come down with spiritual chronic fatigue syndrome and give up, and 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 give up. And so, uh, uh, for example, a couple of years ago, I think it's 2016, Lifeway Research did. Um, uh, researched uh, the pastors in evangelical and Protestant congregations in North America, the USA and Canada, and they discovered that on the average, 250 uh, men and women who are pastors, ministers, church staff members are leaving local church ministry every month. Every month. That's that's pretty accurate figure. And so not all of them for this reason, but the majority who are leaving seem to be because they, they and the congregation have been operating outside of God's preferred plan as revealed in the Scriptures. And so they burn out. They burn out. And it's tragic because we wrongly assume... We, we pastors are a funny bunch anyway, let's just be honest. And, you know, you get into it because you want to help people. And if you think, well, I'm just going to help as many people as I can, uh, we wrongly assume... Uh, that the key to, to effectiveness is to increase our availability to more and more and more uh, people. And we, then we begin to think, oh, I like being the hero. And then if anything of meaningful is going to get done in the life of people, I must do it. I must do it. And uh, it's just not God's way. It is just not God's way. Pastors and staff members are not to be God's primary care providers for the congregation. They're to primarily be the equippers of the congregation to be the frontline ministers to each other. And um, we have pursued that. Now, we do it. We've, we have found that our practice over these 31 plus years has been for our pastors and staff members to work and, and develop and and process this system of accomplishing the purposes of God in the lives of individuals, we become the arrangers of ministry to the people through life group leaders and ministry team leaders, uh, the equippers of life group leaders who lead the ministry. And so I'm constantly reminding myself and the pastors and staff members on our church that our primary job is uh, to allocate ourselves as resources strategically to all of you, uh, just like the second doctor in our parable, uh, because many people's lives are devastated and we need as many people who can do the work of the ministry as possible to care for uh, people. People continue to need great doses of prayer, spiritual uh, direction, ongoing care, special attention, a lot of help. And so we, again, I'm saying it once again, we provide frontline care, spiritual growth, and friendships. Think of, Look at those things on the screen. Frontline care, spiritual growth, and friendships to people at Dogwood Church through our life groups and ministry teams. Our life groups and ministry teams for all ages. We have life groups for preschool children. We have life groups for bed babies. Did you know that? Yeah, we do. We do. 
We do. And, and I mean, we care for them and their families. We teach them. So well, what do you teach them? Well, we sing little Bible songs to them and little scripture truths. And when we rock them and when we get ready to lay them down in the crib for the nap, we say, and remember, God loves a tither. We say it right there, right there. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no. I'm just kidding. So we don't. Maybe we should say that. Uh, <laughs> okay, I digress just a little bit. But we have life groups for preschoolers. We have life groups for um, uh, elementary age kids. We have life groups for middle and high school students. We have life groups for adults, all ages, and, and ministry teams. You say, well, now, what's the pastor, what's the difference between a life group and a ministry team? Now, this is deep. Write this down on your note sheet there. What's the difference? Not much. Not much. Really, they're all groups that commit together with a team leader and an apprentice leader. It's just basically uh, how they allocate their time when they're together. Our life groups, when they gather every week or every other week, um, they meet together for fellowship, some of them over a meal. Uh, They have have Bible intake and prayer for spiritual growth. Uh, They take care of each other, and they mobilize to do some ministry together. That's what they do when they gather. Our ministry teams, when they gather, it's usually around a ministry responsibility. But they're still together. There's still fellowship. There's still encouragement. They still take care of each other when each other have need. But when they're together, most of their time may be spent doing the work of a particular ministry. Steve, you were forever the, weren't you the leader of the Peach team in our, in our real life orchard? And uh, when you guys would gather, I mean, you're taking care of peach trees and picking peaches, right? I mean, making sure that happened. But, when, but still, there's a fellowship that developed around each other, you, the, the spiritual friendships, the prayer for one another, and when, when each other on the team would need something, y'all took care of each other, right? So, yeah, see, it, it's just, what's the difference between a life group and a ministry team? Okay, help me out. Up here. Wake up the balcony. Okay, what's the difference between a life group and a ministry team? Not much, not much. It, it's, it's, it, it, but this life of the kingdom... And highly individualized quality, mutual self-care in the name of Christ takes place in both. See how that works? And so uh, we have arranged to do that. Now, some of you are hearing this kind of concept for the very first time. And you might have the reaction, that's understandable. You say, well, pastor, I guess you and the other pastors and staff members on our church don't really care much about me if you just handed me off to some other people. No, 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 no. We're arranging for you to be cared for. This plan is in no, is no way in place because of a lack of love and mercy and compassion on the part of our pastors and church staff members. It is in place because of our love and compassion for you. Because we want you to, we want you to be cared for in the name of Christ when you have need. We desperately want to see that you are cared for. And so our prayerful goal is to provide a ministry system of care so that the most people can receive the best possible care in the shortest amount of time with the best uh, use of resources, of God's resources. And we do this. We do this by investing uh, in and teaching all of you life group leaders and ministry team leaders uh, how to lead your group members to care for one another care for one another. And um, 
this is the way God intends. So what are the implications for you with this plan? Well, uh, one is this. If you have a care need in your life, which you will from time to time, I will most likely not be the first person to make contact with you when you're in your time of need. I may not hear about it. Matter of fact, uh, I may not I, I, it, hear about it for a long time because just it's just so massive here. One of our pastors might not be the first person to get to you. One of our staff members might not be, men or women, might not be the first person to get to you. Highly likely it'll be somebody who is, it'll be your life group leader or your apprentice life group leader or your ministry team leader or some other members of your group who will get to you because we train you and have for 31 years for you to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. We call it what? Jesus with, Jesus with skin on him. We train you to do that, you to do that, and it's magnificent. Why? Because the job's too big. Uh, we just don't have enough staff members to do that, and it's not God's plan. Now, hear, hear me carefully. I, I love you. I want you to be care for, and our, pa- and our pastors and staff love you. We are crushed when you're in pain and in crisis. We hear it every day, and my wife, Allison, uh, a couple of weeks ago got a call from um, a sister in Christ in our, in our church family. And she said, I've been holding off calling you for a few days because I know you've just had so much going on and I just hated to tell you some bad news. But, but there was this great painful need. And Allison said, stop, stop, stop. She said, uh, she said first of all, Keith and I are old. We're, we're old. Now, we're old enough, we know a lot of people, and we've been in the one church for over 31 years. We know a lot, of, a lot of people in the church, and we've been in the same community in the same county for 40 years. We know a lot of people, and then we've got this big extended family. We know a lot of people. She said, we hear really, really nightmarish, heartbreaking news every day. We do. We do. But... We also hear magnificent news every day. We hear all these wonderful things of great blessings of God and wonderful things, high school graduations and and births of babies and marriages and people coming to faith in Christ and growing in their faith and answered prayer. I said, she said, it's just okay. It's just okay. It's a good life. Don't hold back. But when we hear that bad news, our hearts break for you. But we can't always get to you, but we want somebody to get to you. And that's the same, the same is true for every one of our pastors and staff members in our church. So we have worked hard at arranging for a ministry system so that somebody is close to you, that you're, you can be in a group of 8 to 10 to 15 people who know you, know you by name, have all your contact information, are praying for each other uh, throughout uh, the, the month and are on a call list so that when something happens, they know about it and are cared for. Let me give you an illustration. A number of years back, there was a young couple in our church family. They're not here any longer. They've moved to another part of the country. She went into childbirth and uh, got in difficulty. And I, she was at Northside Hospital. I got the call in our church office that this was happening, that her life was in danger. It did not look good. So I got in the car and headed to Northside Hospital. 
When I walked in the waiting room outside of surgery, the young husband and father were standing there, and nine of his life group members were in the room with him. Beat me there. Now, I'd only been there just a few minutes, and the, and the, the, the physician came out and said, Whew, she's stable, we got it stabilized, she's in good shape. No problem. She's going to make it. She's going to be fine. Great relief. We prayed and thanked God and everybody started getting cups of coffee and kind of sitting down and relaxing a little bit. And so I thought, well, okay, I'm going to be here and be here for this. And I sat uh, visiting with everybody. And in a little bit, the the young husband and father, he kind of came over and he had this sheepish look on his face, Bill. He kind of said, Pastor, why don't you go home? Now, he was not, he meant, I, I'm covered up here. We're, we're good. We're good. Don't you have something else to do? I thought, yeah, I'm going to the varsity. <laughs> you know, when you got to do some hard stuff, you might, you need to do, figure out a way to have something good happen on the way. So I went back, you know, chip celebrated with a chili dog and a, and a chocolate shake. But I thought, Yes. Yes. That story's been multiplied hundreds of times over the 31 years in the life of this church, and it's still happening today. Isn't it, Bill? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Way to go. Way to go. And you can do this. You can do this. I mean, imagine the... Imagine with me the day when every person in our church and every person in Fayette and Coweta and South Fulton County could be receiving highly individualized, personal, quality care in the name of Christ uh, in time of need so that they are and they feel loved and helped in the name of Christ because they're all participating in the life of a, of a life group of 8 to 10 to 12 to 15 people who are going through life together led by a volunteer life group leader and a volunteer uh, apprentice uh, leader who are making sure that they all receive the prayer and the help and the hope and the love that they have when they need it, when they need it. You can do this. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.